Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Bit About Crypto. I'm David James, the Job Whisperer. And here we are. It's Sunday at 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. EST. And we got another episode of Bit About Crypto. And I can't do the show without my co-host, Robo Recruiter, Dave Hampton. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Fine. So you're the Robo Recruiter? That's my name. Are you living up to that? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Don't give up. Why do they call you Robo Recruiter again? Because I'm a machine. Yeah. And why do they call me the job whisperer again? Because you whisper in people's ears. I'm so soft-spoken. <laughs> hey, would you like a job? I've got a really good job for yeah. you. Yeah, just because of my, my soft, gentle manner and uh, unencumbering personality. Uh, so, yeah, that's... Uh, so, yeah, we're from Blockchain Recruiters, and Blockchain Recruiters is a global recruiting firm. And now that we're in the uh, last two years, we're in the blockchain space. It truly is that. Yeah. We, we are, it's just amazing that we're, we're placing candidates from uh, Zaire to work on projects in Lisbon, right? Got, we got that guy in Iceland, that CTO in Iceland, mm -hmm. <laughs> the brilliant guy that never sleeps. Right? Yep, that's right. <laughs> You know, he's working in Baja. It's just, it's surreal that it's actually happening. And so, yeah, we're blockchain recruiters. And what we do at Blockchain Recruiters is we aggregate, aggregate talent in the blockchain, in the crypto, in the NFT space. Anybody who actually has that talent, we, we have you in our database. And if you are somebody who knows that you actually have a passion for crypto or NFTs and wants to be in that space, we will repurpose you. You just need to get a hold of us. So if you're a candidate or want to be a candidate looking for a job, get a hold of me. I'm David James. And you can reach me on Twitter, Twitter at the BTC Recruiter. And of course, you can send me an email. You're going to have to send me something eventually, like your GitHub address or your CV, at davidj, D-A-V-I-D-J, at blockchainrecruiters.net. Don't forget the net because if you don't, with the net, you're not going to be caught in my net. And remember, it's not who you know, it's who we know. And if you are a person that needs candidate resources, all, all, all type, then you actually need to get a hold of the Robo Recruiter because he's forward facing with the clients. Talk about it. Yep. At uh, BC Robo Recruiter, you can contact me, at, email me, Dave at blockchainrecruiters.net, or you can always call me, 760 513 6151. Yeah, and back when we started the show in 2021, uh, everybody we we would we would break it apart of the show and say, hey, we talk like the five positions we have, or the types of clients we have, or what we were actually looking for. And uh, there's just no time to do that, right? So we have positions for everybody on the technical side, right? <laughs> Front end, back end, full stack, yep. blockchain engineers. And I want to talk about CTOs. Virtually every client we have needs a CTO, and they always ask about the same thing. We want somebody who acts can program in web three who's done yep. layer one and what they're really saying and, the, and these are a lot of startup projects they, they haven't had a lot of experience hiring people they want somebody with 30 years of brilliance who actually can still program the most common language and here's what i'm going to say if you really are a web three badass right if you've actually programmed and written your own smart contract or have successfully installed Web3, and you can actually articulate ideas and, and uh, comprise, uh, compartmentalize projects that need to be done and, and run a staff or have project accountability, then you may be qualified to be a, a CTO in some type of capacity. And I've found that the people that have this passion and know actually how to program and can you know have, have the human skills to work with others, it's easy to teach that person to be a CTO than someone with 30 years of experience that just has no time to learn the technology. Right. It's kind of like when we were in, in uh, construction, David and I worked in the construction practice and we had these really, really good superintendents, but they actually would, would hire some some 23 year old kid to actually read the plans on the, the iPad. On the iPad. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, they, I only do paper as he chain smokes his sixth cigarette. Right. right? <laughs> kind of thing. So uh, and then there's the other side, the community managers, quants, uh, auctioneers, art appraisers. Um, I never, uh, yeah. So the community manager, I said that marketing, business development. What else? Mm. What else types of folks we look? That's about it. That's, yeah, rounds it out. And the most important thing I want to say is, is just because you don't see how your experience can be appropriated in this space, doesn't mean we don't see it. All right. So if uh, if that's something that uh, is important to you, then contact us. So, um, David, we got into blockchain recruiting two years ago. 
right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a slow grind, right? But we decided that we were going to really be methodical and we weren't going to take clients that we didn't really feel like there was good partnership mm-hmm. to the point where we feel real good about saying you need to interview with this project. Not because the project is really good, because we feel really, really good about the managers. And you, you, I learned this from you, right? You said people don't quit companies, they quit managers. And I, I quit people. It, yep. We work for people. We work with people. Yep. Whether that name on that shirt is, says one thing or versus, you know, Amazon or Google, you work for the person. I mean, we had a, we had a guest uh, just the other day who said, hey, I stopped working for uh, Coinbase because my mentor left. Yeah, that was, right? that was. I mean, I was poignant. She said it. She said it verbatim. Essentially, well, after he left, it really wasn't the same mentorship that I was really expecting or, or wanting. So I left. And it's funny because I literally as she was talking about that. I said, so you worked a lot with Brian. And mm-hmm. that, I, I know exactly who our mentor was, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's where we were on the space. And, and, and talking about Coinbase, Coinbase is an exchange. And when I first started uh, recruiting in this space, I assumed, well, I'll get a hold of one of these exchanges and they're really going to need me. And the truth is I got a hold of plenty of exchanges and they very much didn't need me. But I realized we found this out quickly. We didn't need them right. because they're, they're hiring too fast. And the whole idea about exchange, it's, it's, it's kind of... Like you've yeah, turned our temple like into a den of thieves. Chasing <laughs> the money or chasing the greed about, you know, it's like it's the the right people who are building the right teams aren't chasing the money per se. They're, they're, it's, a, it's a byproduct of what they're actually, what, they, what their mission is, what they believe the mission is. It's kind of like this, this podcast, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this podcast financially is a loser for us, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a long-term investment. Right. So it kind of, I mean, I, I... Our messaging. Well, I didn't expect a uh, short-term yield... Uh, you know? No, neither did I. I figured three podcast episodes we'd have a million <laughs> followers, and I'm really disappointed yeah. in everybody, yeah. especially you, Dave. I mean, right? it's like saying you expect to get chiseled uh, with muscle in three weeks' time after working out for the first time in two years. Yeah, what's so, happening with that? I mean, <laughs> manage your expectations. That's what's happening yeah. with that. But the, the funny thing is, uh, so w- when we started, so I orange pilled David into Bitcoin. Right, probably in 2017. When we met in 2014, I had talked to him about it, but he wasn't having it, and Bitcoin really wasn't a, the thing that it was. And then 2017, well, I didn't he, have the money. I won. I mean, I was, I was, I was a point in my life where I was. Uh, I mean, I, I jumped into a career path, uh, all in, and I bet on myself on something that I was like, I, I think I can do this. And I'm, I'm, well, I, I know you did. I hired you. Right. Well, I mean, my point is, is I had to build up my wealth. I couldn't, you know, I, investing was the farthest thing from my now, mind. No, I understand. And when I when I first bought Bitcoin in 2013, I was I was a recruiter coming out of the recession. Right. You thought it was hard getting a job. Imagine how hard yeah. it was to get paid to get a job. Uh, trust me, I know. It was broke ass. I know. That's right. why I became a recruiter. <laughs> Stop. Yeah. But but anyhow, then all of a sudden, you know, in 2000, when I was talking to you in 2013, Bitcoin is all there was. Then it's Ethereum, and there'll never be anything else. And then also 2017 happens and there are all these, you know, ERC-20 tokens coming on, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's crazy. And then it's like, well, what about Polygon? Well, what about Solana? Well, what about Hex? Right? And a year ago, all there was, we were talking about people either starting their own blockchain or people who actually were going to build something on, you know, Ethereum or something. And I swear to God, in the last three quarters of 2021, all, all we're getting is, is clients who are doing these massive NFTs. Yeah, it's, it's, metaverse it, NFTs. Yeah. It's kind of like my portfolio. My portfolio was 5% Bitcoin and you know 95% everything else conventional. And all of a sudden, it went to 95% Bitcoin, uh, 5% conventional, just because the way Bitcoin just rose so right. high so quickly. And that's, that's what's happening. And so I need to really be very careful thinking that for me, I was like, well, Bitcoin is the Mac Daddy, the Alpha, the Omega of all things, because there's a possibility that these NFTs could be that thing. So it's a race to discovery, a race to discovery of worth, mm-hmm. uh, uh, of market share and value, and use case. And the reason I talk about all that is uh, our, our next guest, right, who's, who comes to us all the way from Australia, I guess in the no, middle New of Zealand. New Zealand. Sorry. Oh, sh- he's going to hate me now. <laughs> he's going to really hate me now. Um, but, you know, he, he started, uh, you know, he was a waiter, right? And then he, he's repurposed his life based on intention all the way to being the co-founder and CEO of Non-Fungible Labs. <laughs> no further ado. Alex Smilly.
Yeah. Did I say it right? Smaley? Smaley. Smaley. Yeah, like Michael Saylor. Smaley. Exactly. Yeah. Do, you, do, you, do you speak any Dutch? Do you speak any Dutch? No, no, no. My dad would be very disappointed. Thank you, well. Unfortunately, not. <laughs> that's Stuff and Blick. It's like the uh, dust pattern brush. Yeah, that's that, one of the ones that, 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 that's yeah. so, <laughs> I know. I know some of the like the slang. Or you'd think I'd speak it, but I just I could just drop right the right words. But yeah, hey, welcome to Bit About Crypto. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, good to see you again, Alex. You got get some sleep yet? <laughs> not in this <laughs> space, man. You know, you know how fast this moves. That's yeah. right. But they say. Uh, what, like a month in crypto is a year in, in any other industry. That's and a correct. Month in the, NF, the month in the NFT space is a year in crypto. Uh, this It just moves so quickly. You sleep for, a, you know, you take a day off or half a day off yeah. and then suddenly something's happened and the whole market's reacting and you're like, oh, what did I miss? So uh, let's talk about just your life as as a young man, like just your your mom, dad, sisters, brothers, where you lived, what they did, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I was born and raised in New Zealand. Um, yeah, youngest of, of three siblings and always kind of had more of a, a kind of business inkling um, of anyone in the family. But uh, I think, you know, as you mentioned early days, I think as with most people sort of started in hospitality, um, waiting tables, that sort of thing. And honestly, I feel like I probably learned more from that experience than I did from my business degree because I think whatever whatever you're doing for a job, it comes back to customer service. And hospitality is probably one of the most pure forms of customer service. Um, so from that, you know, I learned very quickly, you know, how to how to read people, how to kind of tailor service to meet what I thought their expectations would be. Um, and also, you know, especially when you're working in you know, fast-paced restaurants and you're fully booked and then and a VIP table comes in, you've, you've just got to roll with the punches. And, you know, there's always a solution. Um, it takes some creative thinking, but to be able to kind of take that mindset and be able to apply that to traditional business or, I guess, new, very future-facing kind of industries like where we are now, um, yeah, it really takes that kind of, you know, roll with the punches mindset of, okay, this has happened. How are we going to adapt and evolve and make sure that at the end of the day, you know, the end user, our community are, are getting the best experience possible. So, um, so no, but I wanted, so that sounds great. And, and I agree with you because I, I, I worked in hospitality, but in the kitchen, you don't want someone like me around customers because <laughs> it's just a bad Throwing idea. Throwing plates and all of that. Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I just would say things I shouldn't. I'm just, I'm really not forward facing when I was younger. When I it just I, I you know my dad wasn't around I didn't have the mentor but I want to talk to me about like your life like what did your mom do what did your dad do you know talk yes. to me what, things you were interested in like elementary well so that was um, as I said you know it was always more kind of business logic focused my brother was a uh, a pro wakeboarder um, so he was kind of out of school as soon as he could to go travel the world um, my sister was you know a bit more art focused and. Um, yeah, I guess I was I was always seen as the the business one. Um, my parents kind of yeah, had, you know, had everything I could have asked for, and and incredibly blessed and kind of humbled by that fact that you know I've never really needed to to want for anything growing up, um, and that really perspective only hit me kind of down the line when I started doing sort of more charity work, which I'll get into in a bit. But growing up was was very focused on okay, you know, looking at new technology, how they can change, you know, solve problems. At the end of the day, you know, we're looking at what are these problems and how can we provide a solution that solves them. Um, and that's kind of what captured my interest as I moved into studying business um, and did a bachelor of business and in information management before moving into a tech startup and and working on kind of all things. Uh, video streaming, live events. Um, in the meantime, a lot of my interest was in the music industry as well. So I was a, a bedroom DJ and, you know, would waste away my my weekends at nightclubs and always, you know, if there was an artist that I really admired, I would just somehow talk my way backstage and meet them and would get kicked out and then back there again <laughs> next weekend until eventually the the managers were like, oh, I'll see you again, fine, sure. So <laughs> hold on a second. So so when you said that you were a DJ, I, I want to say, because I was a DJ in college. I worked for mm -hmm. a local uh, radio uh, host, uh, the Baron. He was, he was a big guy in a small... Small town of a hundred thousand. Hundred thousand is small in in Southern California in Santa Barbara. 
And what he yeah. would do is he would hire people with good personalities, right? Who weren't afraid to talk and be creative and, and who had a good ear for music. And he, he would buy back then 45s. 45s and you would take trucks of 45s and every request you could think of it's like you had your catalog and he would have like two turntables turn, turn, yeah. turn, I and mean, that's how we were doing it and so did you ever DJ a wedding? Well it's not a wedding um, I mean I kind of just started because I was it was actually it was 2007, 2008 oh, So, so you're, you're when, like a club DJ Well yes I was well I mean I, I played I played radio more than anything else, but it was mostly just, you know, I love music. Um, uh -huh. It was actually around the start of when dubstep first came out and before it kind of turned into what it is now. And it was very different to anything I'd ever heard before. So I was just very fascinated by it. Um, also had a lot of kind of um, love for like old school nineties, golden era hip hop and um, you know, a lot of kind of jazz, funk, blues, soul, um, actually, you know, this is when everyone was moving to CDJs and that sort of setup. But I was, you know, purist, Technic 1210 turntables, vinyl collection, 45s, all of that. Um, and then, yeah, started just essentially doing it because I loved it. Lots of my friends were like, oh my God, where's the song that you got? How'd you get it? And then from there, I got invited to do some, a few shows and, um, and co-host a radio show here in New Zealand. But uh, it was always something that I kind of had in the back of, my mind while I was doing everything else. Hold on else. a second. So you're saying you were like a station DJ, like on a radio station. You started that way. Uh, I well, I dabbled. I had a friend that co that hosted a show, um, so I would come and co-host sometimes. But it was mostly more just about the music. You know, it was us just excited to share these yeah. cool songs that we had found with the world. And um, yeah, it was a it was a really interesting opportunity, especially going from just kind of mixing in my own bedroom to mixing in a studio where you kind of, it feels the same because you're just kind of there by yourself. Yeah, right, because because you naturally then, know it, right. Yeah, but then you see the text machine and all these people messaging through and you're like, oh, actually, that's right. There's hundreds, thousands, whatever, how many people actually listening to me right now. And it's, it's an interesting <laughs> experience to to kind of step into that and in I guess uh, almost like a public speaking type role so to really dip my toe there so as well. I, I just got to talk to you about this, right? So I remember like like like, like the DJing, right? And, and I'm also mm -hmm. thinking, because DJing was a good way to like pay for college because you could make a stupid amount of money on the weekend and you wouldn't have to like get a regular waiter job 40 hours. So yeah. you could do whatever you had to do to get through. And I'll never forget this. It's like I decided, hey, I'd rather be a – it's like if you play poker, right, and you win the first five times you play, it's like, well, this is more money than I made in half a year. This is my yeah. new career right here, right? And it's yeah. like I'm, I'm – here, take half the money and go buy a house, right, because I'm never going to have – I'm never gonna I feel like that's the first step into crypto for most well, people. Hold on, well, we we're, 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 <laughs> we're coming to that, right? But as it relates to radio, because you know my my parents were like yeah, pacifist hippies against the war, and they're playing "Sympathy for the Devil," right? So I was very musically exposed as a child, right? Soul, the Four Tops, all this stuff. So I naturally like knew what the songs were when all the other kids weren't. So I just decided that you know what, this college thing—it's not for me. I'm going to I'm going to get a job at the radio station, but I can't quit college cuz I'll make my mom mad, right? Etc. and I'm and I'm going to work my job. And so my mom I'm I'm trying this and and radio station plays pays minimum wage. Like you don't make any money in radio unless you're a shock jock, right? Or you have a morning show, right? Where you're acting really stupid and you're and you're giving away people that call in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, Howard Stern's the extreme example of somebody who who got there. And my mom came and she said, "Well, when do you sleep?" And I went Sunday. She goes, yeah, no, no. And she, you know, she talked me off the ledge and I'm glad she did. Right. Because I'd be really broke ass living in a mobile home. Right. And I probably wouldn't have found crypto. But, uh, so how did, how did you, uh, take your musical background into your next thing? Or, or well, how did you do? What I mean, happened next? Yeah. As, as you say, it was very much kind of the hustle. You said, oh, I did this because I didn't want a, a job as a waiter. Well, I was doing that <laughs> as well. And also studying <laughs> and then started as a project manager in a tech startup. And for a while there, I was juggling all four of those. So you were sleeping like, on Sundays too. You were <laughs> yeah, you were yeah, yeah, pretty Sunday. much. I had, I had a window, one day sleep a week. Sunday morning. It was about 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. good for the week. <laughs> <laughs> I can sustain this forever. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, so I, I, after studying, uh, went into to this tech startup, um, but was still very much, you know, in love with the music industry. 
And it got to the point, I mean, I love New Zealand. I, there's no place I'd rather have been raised, no place I'd rather kind of settle down long term. But in between, it's it's very kind of socially claustrophobic and geographically isolated because... Especially, you know, so especially this week. Especially, yeah, well, especially uh, over the last few years. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's like been... Those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, I kind of caught the worst of both of it because I, you know, was in lockdown London and then while New Zealand was all free. Oh, and my God. Came back. But uh, just coming back was, yeah, it was. Um, that must have been an ordeal just coming, just trying to get back, right? Yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was um, very unexpected as well. But yeah, I mean, at the time, this was for, for 2013, I kind of at, was at the point where like, okay, I need to go out and see the world. I need to to get out of this sort of bubble that we're in here. Um, you know, if New Zealand really is the best country in the world, I'm never going to know that until I go and see what the yeah. rest of the world has to You know to what offer. you're missing before you know what you, you know, what you're missing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I went and blew my life savings traveling the world for four months. Um, most of it kind of by myself, although meeting up with friends along the way. And then I think there was a certain point about four months into it where I was in Croatia on an island called Far, and I, I finally checked my bank account and it, I think it was about $15 left in it. So <laughs> like, like, All right, yeah. well, time to settle down somewhere. Um, <laughs> and yeah, then ended up back in London and kind of sleeping on the floor at a friend's house there for a while. I had these great ambitions to you know, make some big moves in the music industry there, apply my project management and kind of event management experience to the music industry. Um, but I think like everyone, you know, they think stepping off the plane, they'll land their dream job, um, you know, within a, within a couple of weeks. Uh, for me, it took, although not very long, it took a couple of months um, where I, you know, after, after not really getting anywhere in the music industry was just falling back into hospitality um, while I was looking for bigger opportunities. And through this temp agency that I was working for, um, they had a contract with a, a club called Ronnie Scott's. Um, for those of you who have been to London or know the, the jazz scene or blues and that there, Ronnie Scott's is probably one of, if not the biggest or well, most well-known, well-respected nightclubs, uh, sorry, jazz clubs outside of the US um, on par with the Blue Note. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I know, kind, I, I know kind, the blue note. Blue kind, note's in New York. Kind of like uh, CBGB. Kind of like it's got that kind of cult following, right? I'll take your word for it. I'm not familiar with. with no, CBGB, I, I, I know. But. I know blue note. Blue note's in New York, man. If you know, I mean, yeah. You, you don't know Dave, David Byrne saying this ain't no party, no CBGB. Ain't no uh, messing yeah, around. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay, okay. Hey, hey, you said this wasn't the gotcha show. Yeah, it was. He gotcha. <laughs> no, no, I didn't mean to get you. I just, it's so apropos that I had to drop a musical lyric that he got. See, <laughs> what you don't understand, Dave, gotcha. is, is Alex, we are speaking our love language, which is lyrics. Yeah, exactly. We're thinking <laughs> lyrics. And I have one of those brains, which often to my own detriment is I hear a song once and then know half the lyrics in it. It could be a song that I absolutely hate, but it comes on in the radio and I catch myself. Isn't that the, isn't that the worst? Isn't yeah. that the worst? I, I, don't, I wish I could I could apply it to like my, you know, uni, for example. Like if they taught the courses in, in song format, <laughs> then I probably would have gotten better scores, but... Well, you'll, you'll appreciate that. You know, I'm slightly older than you, okay, as in enough to, enough to be your dad, enough to be your dad. But anyhow, the, the scam, you know, DJs and even man, people that manage stations, they weren't making any money because, you know, the love came, et cetera, et cetera. So the way that the record studios, the labels were pimping the game is they would find people in certain markets and they say, we will give you $15 every time you play this song on the radio. All you have to do is just, we just need to know when it is, et cetera. And we'll have our people listening, et cetera. We will pay you this money. And all of a sudden it's like, you're wondering why, why am I singing this crappy song? Why is 93 KHJ playing these bad songs? Cause you know, bad songs don't strike the chord. You can tell that they were written by somebody revised by somebody else, produced by somebody else. And then sang by whatever singer you, you can tell that they don't have this soul, but that's, that's the way they were actually getting the game rigged. Did you ever know anything about that? Did that happen in Australia? 
I couldn't speak to Australia. I mean, um, I'm sorry. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not Australia. Yeah, New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, two I'm totally sure different countries. That's like saying you're Canadian and as opposed to being American. Two totally different countries. No, no, that's just a line. It's just a line. <laughs> speak the same language, eat the same food, drink the same. Yeah, beer. Not, not even that close. You know, we don't have, we don't share a border. It's yeah. about three, <laughs> yeah. three hours to fly from. No, from and, the you, other. and you, <laughs> no, and you guys hate each other. It's different. You guys really. I'd call it a sibling rivalry. Hate's a strong, strong word. word. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all. Love. It's all love. It's more of a it's love a, it's hate. A sibling rivalry. So, so we're, we're going to stay on this topic for a second. I, I have met people abroad. And I hear the accent, especially when I was younger. I wasn't able to listen to the difference between like a team agency, right? The way the Australians would say it, or cheaps versus yeah. a Kiwi, right? And every Kiwi yeah. I ever met, I'd say, hey, are you Australian? They'd say, I know, man, I'm a Kiwi. I hate Australia. So I, I assume based on my experience, I guess they just hated being called Australians. So, anyhow. Yeah. But go yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, one second. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. So from there, I mean, as a, I guess coming back to, to Ronnie Scott's was was an incredible experience. Um, there we we it was really interesting to kind of enter at this very entry level. You know, I was brought in as just a, a temp temp staff to help. Um, you know, with their Christmas rush. And by day three, I was kind of put in charge of, you know, managing a third of the club because they saw that I obviously had this experience, but it was also, I think, the just the Kiwi mentality of, you know, no jobs beneath me or do whatever it takes, but also kind of have a bit of fun with it as well. I think a lot of the, the hospitality industry is very rigid and kind of formal structured. Um, and so to be able to kind of read people and be like, you know, these guys are just here to have a good time. Like, let's crack some jokes, have a bit of fun with it. Um, it was also an incredible opportunity to just see some of the best artists in the world yeah. perform in this really in intimate environment. And so often you'd be so deep in the work and then you stop for a moment and actually stand back and like look at George Benson or, you know, B.B. Oh, yeah. King or someone like that performing on stage and you're like, whoa, okay, that's yeah. why, like, no one was answering me when I said, hey, can I take your drink? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> They're just another round. laser focused yeah. on this person. Just give me another so, round, you know? Yeah, and uh, that was, I mean, it was, uh, for me, that was just a, a kind of, okay, I'm going to do this while, you know, I'm looking for the bigger opportunity. But within um, three months, you know, the, the owner came in, who's actually a, a New Zealander as well, um, and kind of global philanthropist, um, having kind of built an empire in the sports industry. Um, he came in and I looked after his table and, you know, one thing led to another and he said, no, you're coming to work for me now. Mm. Um, and he essentially has, you know, he was my mentor for the next sort of four or five years, a man named Michael Watt, um, incredible, incredible person. Wow. You know, he, he helped build like the, the major sporting leagues around cricket, football, um, you know, Proper football, not American football. Where they <laughs> use the feet. Uh, <laughs> well, you really, 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 I knew what you were talking about, but thank you for clarifying for David. Yeah. So, yeah, Eddie, yeah, yeah. listen to me. I had four years of college. Okay, I paid attention. No, but the thing is, really, we shouldn't be calling it football at all because yeah. we never touch it with our foot. Only for, I, it's so, when you kick vehicles, you do. Yeah, it, yeah, like which is two percent of the game, right? Yeah, it's so stupid. what team you talking about? I like the sport. Like it's a really cool sport, but like the name just there's a bit of a mismatch. No, there, but we so. Americans are so arrogant. We say no, no, no it's not football. <laughs> it's soccer. We football is our sport, you know. It's <laughs> exactly. like, yeah, we're we're like the youngest country in the world, right? And it's like you know we're taking over, we're ruining culture. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so go yeah, on. Yeah. So yeah, this is exciting. So you were working with him. So yeah, and and that was, I mean, that was a kind of whirlwind four years. My actual first day on the job, we flew to Zermatt in the Swiss Alps and and airlifted a grand piano up onto Klein Matterhorn to play a jazz performance that I think was ten thousand <laughs> feet above sea level. Wow, that's um, awesome. It was just the most bizarre experience uh, up at Zermatt Unplugged. Um, definitely set the bar quite high for for that job. But yeah, over the next four years, just worked across a range of um, jobs for him, and you know everything from entertainment, hospitality, events um, to like construction projects. Um, you know, looking at great investment opportunities and, and philanthropic endeavors and uh, really got quite heavily involved in um, supporting charities throughout Greece and Lebanon and, and the refugee crisis. Um, that was a really kind of humbling experience. And actually the timing of it as well, um, it was shortly after my brother, who was a you know, pro wakeboarder, 
uh, ended up breaking his neck. Um, it's probably the worst accident that's ever happened in, in the history of wakeboarding because he was kind of pushing it to new extremes and doing oh, this sort man. of big air type stuff. Um, so had that whole experience of, you know, obviously he was in ICU in Orlando for I think six weeks um, and then another sort of three months of rehab um, and to see basically the person who I, you know, looked up to and idolised as, you know, the most active physical person that I knew to suddenly be a prisoner in, in his own body um, was an incredible kind of experience to see how he dealt with that and grew from that. Um, and that's also, you know, my dad kind of had a similar, ex- or have, has a similar experience where he was very much kind of, you know, builder, DIY, do everything. Um, now he's very late stage Parkinson's disease. Yeah. So I've had these two incredible kind of role models in my life that have had to go through these vast changes and see how they've managed to adapt and evolve. And it's a very kind of humbling experience because it means that you really don't take anything for granted anymore. You know, the fact that I can go out for a walk or a run is something that like I'll never take for granted again, but it's so easy to, to forget about that when you don't have that context. And so also, you know, having this experience of like patrolling the beaches on, on COS in Greece from 10 PM to 10 AM, pulling people out of the boats to, you know, and, and a lot of these, it's, it's easy to kind of not, you know, to, to, to distance it when you're not there, yeah. but right. to actually meet these people and, you know, they're like, oh yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a surgeon. My wife's a, a history teacher. Like here's our amazing six bedroom family home that we used to have, which is now a smoldering ruin. Um, it's, it really puts things into perspective and it's like, okay, well, how can I ever complain about, you know, my situation? And, and that's not to say, you know, everyone has bad days and, you know, let me speak to that. that. Yeah. No, let me speak to that. So you know, recruiting is like I, I was put on the earth to actually empower people through work. I just it's the only it's the only thing I've ever done. And if it wasn't for my love of crypto and NFTs, I, I'd be retired. I would just I would do something else. But I, I still have work to do. And, you know, I, I came from very poor beginnings. Right. And so just the ability to work and make my own way was just so mm-hmm. impo- that someone would just give me the opportunity. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I just naturally, I love all people except for Kiwis. But I, other than that, I love all people. And well, there had to be at least one person. Yeah, you know, well, you know, I mean, if, if we don't have some I mean, whipping boy, some Judy. Are you sure it's not Australians that you then, know? You then, then, like? No, I love Australians. Can't you tell? <laughs> I've tried to rebrand the guy twice. Anyhow, but when I see like the maids in the hotel, I want to talk to them. I want to just talk to everybody. Just hey, uh, we're equal. We're both people. Because I always said, if I ever was able to like change my socioeconomics, I wasn't going to treat people the way I was treated. But specifically to your thing about like the refugee crisis, my wife and I we took a trip, and I decided we're just going to have a driver come pick us up both ways. And you've got these, you talk these Uber drivers or these limousine drivers, right? And they're foreigners from someplace. And you talk to them, and you know, they're driving, and I'll say, so what did you do back in whatever country? It's like, I was a surgeon. I was an architect, right? I, I helped to guide our missile system. And it, it's, fun, it's one of the funny things. As, when I first became a recruiter, I would find these foreigners, right, who were here on H-1B visas, and I would put them forward, and everybody, there was, uh, there was court, cultural discrimination. I'm not even talking about the racial discrimination, right? Your name can be Manish Gupta. Right. If you actually were born in Washington, D.C. and went to Georgetown, it's cool that your parents were Indians. Right. But if you spoke with that accent or you came with that other kind of stuff, then you weren't even being you're not even seen as a person. And so, you you know, it's like, you know, yeah, my wife, she actually was the principal of a college and she cleans hotels. I mean, so when you speak to that, I have straight line resonation because everybody who I've ever hired who works for me now, right, including David, was an underdog. I mean, he's not, a, he's a superhero now, but all, all joking aside, when I first got, no one was going to give him a shot, right? And he just, he was a, he was a, a, a history teacher who... English teacher. He was a history teacher? <laughs> I was an English teacher. History of English. I just wanted to see if he was listening. English teacher. So, but but my point is, is, so when you speak to that, I, and I can see you pulling these people out of the boats, it's like, you know, uh, and... and for the grace of God, if you know, if we have to flee the, in my case, the United States, right, for some whatever reason, then you just got to get by mm-hmm. with your wit. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, I just, I'm sorry, I just, it really spoke to me. So, go on about that. Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's easy, especially 
you know, when so much of the content that we kind of consume, whether whatever media, there's always kind of unconscious biases throughout it. And it's it's very easy to to separate it when you have that, you know, physical separation. When the person's standing there in front of right. you and, you know, inviting you into their tent to come and have dinner with their family. Um, and they're, you know, happy with just what they have. It really, you know, makes you wonder, yeah. okay, do I really need that card? Do I really need this? Like it really contextualizes all of that. So I was working uh, initially kind of, what was it? 2014, 2015, um, out on the Greek islands. And then the borders shut down, um, with the EU Turkey deal. I moved, started working across mainland Greece, supporting small grassroots charities as we went, uh, and then eventually ended up in Lebanon, which has, I believe it's the highest population of refugees per capita of any country in the world. Uh, you know, they've had refugees for 70 odd years now, yeah. Palestinians. Um, you've got refugees who are refugees twice over. They fled Palestine to Syria. Now they're fleeing Syria to, Iran. to Lebanon. Yeah, you got Iranian yeah, refugees, yeah, Jewish it's, refugees. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and that country, it's, it's such a beautiful region as well. It's just, you know, been decimated over these years. Um, but to, to go out there and, and work with these charities is one that I'm still on the board of trustees for called Salam LADC, um, which was kind of started as just a local initiative by someone there who was just trying to build, you know, um, refu uh, so libraries and that sort of thing. And then obviously with the crisis picking up, uh, this international team came in and kind of drove it. So they worked uh, a lot of, a lot of charities or a lot of kind of first timers in the space have this kind of savior complex of like, Oh, I'm the only one out here kind of making a difference. And I, I was definitely like that at first as well. Cause I was like there, you know, on the ground and then you see red cross kind of in the background or whoever it may be, but you get, you got to understand that, you know, everyone has a part to play and that at the end of the day, the end goal of a charity should be to not have to exist anymore. You know, it's the teacher yeah. man to fish as opposed That's to. That's really, really yeah. yeah. So my, my, my daughter, she's a real humanist. She, uh, she decided like between the summer, uh, uh, junior and senior year, she was going to go to uh, Haiti for uh, Haiti hands on to work with earthquake victims. Right. And so, I mean, when you speak of that, it just, it speaks to the things that David and I are, are really passionate about. She got bit yeah. by a tick and got Lyme disease, so there's that. <laughs> so, but anyhow, I digress. It's, a, it's, a, it's an authentic, worldly experience, though, I guess. So, um, so, so would would you would you say that you brought your compassion for for the world population of people, the the less fortunate, right, than than those of us with privilege, to your new venture? Yeah, I mean, it's something that I've, it's definitely I've tried to kind of incorporate into it, everything I do moving forward. Um, my dad, you know, taught me a lot of things when I was growing up. You know, he'd drop me when he'd drop me off at school. He'd say, you know, make plenty of mistakes today, but only make them once, um, <laughs> which was always a great lesson. But yeah. Another another one was, you know, if you ever borrow something from someone, return it in better condition than you received it. In my eyes, all we're doing is borrowing this planet from future generations. So, you know, we have a duty to leave it in a better condition than we received it. Now, I don't think for the most part, I don't think previous generations have kind of intentionally made the world a, a worse place. I think it's just kind of, you know, ignorance or, or um, not understanding the kind of direct impacts of consequences. Yeah. And obviously it's difficult, you know, when those impact, the impact of the consequences can be removed by, you know, however many different degrees of separation, but to have, uh, you know, the level of kind of visibility that we have nowadays. Uh, I think, you know, whatever you're doing business-wise, there needs to be a net positive outcome to it because if what you're doing is unsustainable, then it's it's unsustainable. You shouldn't be able, to, you shouldn't be doing it really long-term, like, because it just by definition cannot be sustained. Wow. I mean, we could go so many directions with you, and uh, we're not talking much about crypto, so I'm sorry. No, yeah, I, I forget the name of this podcast, right? So all, 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 no, about all about kiwis. All about kiwis with, with compassion for humans all over. Um, so how did so how did crypto find you? Um, I mean, as I said, I always had a, an interest for kind of bleeding edge technology. And um, I think I first heard about Bitcoin in maybe 2012, Um 
really, you know, like everyone should have bought more at the time. I, I dabbled, <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly. We've all been there. Um, I've probably, I, I dabbled a bit through sort of 2014, 15, and it was only really in early 2017 that I was like, okay, this is, things are really taking off here. Um, and basically went in with, with my boss at the time uh, on kind of building a portfolio. Um, this was right in the, in the lead up to the kind of crash at the start of 2018. Um, and so, you know, I was doing very well one moment, not so great the next, but still, still okay. Um, and then in 2018 actually was part of, uh, what was the biggest theft in New Zealand history. There's an exchange here called Cryptopia and I thought, okay, cool. Kiwi company, you know, I'll support them and, and have a load of my cryptocurrency on there. Uh, they got hacked. Uh, I think it was an inside job and the company went into liquidation and nothing gone everything gone. So that wow. really kind of, I think everyone has in the space, you know, have something like that, a trial by fire type experience. Um, hopefully it's something that, you know, and it's, I think it comes to the fact that traditional, you know, financial management, like if your bank account gets hacked, that's on the bank, that's not on you, you know, their security will sort it out and revert payments or whatever. In the crypto space, it's all about empowering the individual, but that also comes with its own sets of struggles around security and the amount of scams that are out there. Um, so I, I was very kind of burnt from that for a while. Um, I had gone into, in the meantime, uh, was working on one of the biggest nightclub redevelopments in London uh, and then started as director of operations for a creative studio um, focused on kind of system change and building ethical businesses uh, called Studio XYZ. And it was really impressive there because we're working with some big brands, but also basically saying, hey, look, you know, you're, you, you, a lot of them just wanted to be relevant and kind of greenwash, but we're like, look, you need to be balancing your triple bottom line. It's not just about profit. It's about people, both internal and external, and it's about the planet as well. Everything, there needs to be a net positive impact across the board. You can't, you know, have it too skewed in one direction because once again, it's just going to fall over eventually. So that was a really great opportunity to kind of bring this this knowledge that I'd learned and try and apply it to larger organizations and, and how you actually build a business that cares or, or has this kind of, you know, net positive impact. Um, at the time was, you know, starting to kind of build up my portfolio again. I'd, I'd recovered emotionally, spiritually, you know, all of that <laughs> yeah. from, <laughs> from that experience. Um, and then uh, start of 2021, um, so this is uh, kind of all through lockdown in London. Uh, then start of 2021, uh, my, my dad ended up in, in hospital here in New Zealand. Um, at the time, it was a very strict um, kind of managed isolation process where you had to book sort of four months in advance. Um, but, you know, I knew I needed to be back home as soon as possible. Um, we had, you know, the doctors basically writing a letter saying, look, he's got maybe a month left to live, um, which fortunately kind of allowed me to get expedited through the process. So I was able to fly out, uh, you know, within a week or so, spend two weeks in, a, in isolation in a hotel. And then while I was there in isolation, you know, lo and behold, my dad got better and, and kind of jumped out of hospital and um, back to kind of relative normal. So there I was back in New Zealand. Wow. You, you have, you, you are cloaked in immense power and life-saving skills. Yeah. 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 I, apparently that was it. It was just ah. me having me back in the country was enough to, to, to sway the needle. Um, <laughs> but it was, it well, was I'm quite glad. surreal. I'm really, I know. I'm really glad that you give me that spin. Cause I didn't think that's the way the story's going to go. And is he still with yeah. us? Yeah, 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 he's still with us. Um, he's, uh, you know, comes over every couple of days and he's got a little workshop here and kind of is constantly taking her away with things. Um, and I don't think fully understands what I've been doing, but, you know, <laughs> proud of me that I'm that I'm doing something. Yeah, good. Um, and, yeah, it kind of, it was a bit surreal going from being in lockdown in London for a year, interacting with maybe 12 people total, to suddenly coming out into an open and free New Zealand and be able to go to festivals and hug strangers and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and at that time, I landed back here and was like, okay, well, I guess I'm moving back to New Zealand now. It doesn't really make sense to, to continue back in London at this stage. So wrapped everything up there and was kind of looking at, okay, what's the next big opportunity for me here? Um, at that time, I linked up with 
uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Jesse Metcalf, uh, who's known for about 12, 13 years, a creative genius, just always has these really abstract art ideas and, and follows through on them. Um, and also a few other um, people, Brooke Howard Smith, who's a kind of local sort of media. Yeah, man, he's, uh, got, he's got some tremendous energy, man. Brooke, he, he's, 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 uh, he's, he's, man. <laughs> he's definitely a man about town here. He's, um, he's been the, he's been on everything. And uh, one of his big claim to fame is he's a, um, X games bronze medalist in, um, Seattle. He, <laughs> he's very unassuming though. Like, you don't like, he's energetic, but he doesn't have like this, uh, this arrogance or cockiness about him. Like, yeah, no, he's just, he's a very kind of like lovely, engaging kind yeah. of person. And he knows how to, how to wind people up in a, in a good way. Yeah. Did he, thinks, did really. he, uh, come to the United States like, uh, Seattle to compete? Yeah. 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 I think he was based in LA, LA. mostly, um, or uh, in California, but, yeah, it was, um, so like all the skateboarding. I, I, and yeah, it was back and forth. I just I always mix these up. It's roll, roller skating, rollerblading, rollerblading, probably yeah, blading, yeah. blading. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Roll, 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 <laughs> roller skating's my era. That always winds them up when I say that as well. <laughs> um, so linked up with him and um, a, a guy called Aaron McDonald, who uh, is the CEO of a, a company called Centrality over here. He's a prolific kind of entrepreneur who just has a habit of starting new companies. Uh, I think he's got about 60 companies in his portfolio now. Um, and we all came together and saw what was happening in the NFT space um, and we're like, okay, we need to we need to do something here. Um, Centrality, Aaron's company, is, is I think the biggest blockchain company in New Zealand. They've, they've got their own blockchain. They're doing a lot of really innovative stuff in the space. Um, but we all saw the opportunity for, for NFTs, um, what was currently happening in the art market, but how we could take it in different directions. And we had a couple kind of interesting projects that we started with, one which was called The Unstoppable Art Machine, um, which hasn't stopped, it's just slowed down. Um, but it was around how we kind of bring like street art into the digital realm. Um, and we had this kind of treasure hunt mechanic where people would partner with a street artist that produce a new piece of artwork somewhere hidden. And then it would be a treasure hunt to the first person that finds it and scans the QR code, gets the NFT of that piece. Um, but with the whole royalty mechanics that come with NFTs, it meant that the artist would, you know, earn whenever that piece was sold down the line as well. Yeah. So it was, it was interesting. It was a really fun project, um, but definitely a loss leader for us. But got to work with some incredible people. And um, yeah, I mean, just that experience of, you know, having these people out hunting and the excitement when they found the piece was really cool. And to, to look at how we bleed the physical and digital worlds together um, was really exciting. But then we, we were looking at what was happening in the, um, space around the likes of obviously CryptoPunks, you know, did this whole 10K collection of, of these profile pictures, um, which kind of set the initial trend. And then you had it all take off in the art world. But you, you had, you know, people were, especially through lockdown, were kind of longing for like a community to belong to. Um, and I think especially as we're kind of become more and more physically isolated to have some kind of digital uh, community that you can engage with wherever you are in the world, was starting to become more and more important. And we saw Board Ape Yacht Club do a really good job of this. You know, not only did they create some really cool art, uh, but they built this really strong community around it. And they did what kind of no one else had really done much of in the space was kind of build this roadmap of like, this isn't just us dropping this and it's okay, goodbye. Like it's, we're going to continue delivering value to the community to build a strong engaged community around this project. And we were like, okay, you know, really saw what they're doing and thought it was incredible. I I had, I think, three board apes at the start. I sold them all for less than one ETH, you know, <laughs> one of those things that we'll always live to regret. Um, but, you know, you live and you learn. And uh, from there, you know, we were looking at, okay, how can we evolve on what they've done? And at the time, the, the concept of the metaverse was still, you know, it was there, but it definitely wasn't as mainstream. Um, and we we're like, well, okay, it seems like everything's leading to this, you know, engaged digital environments. It's the next iteration of the internet. It's not just desktop and mobile. It's it's these immersive spaces where it bleeds the lines, the, the boundaries between gaming and social media and and work. Um, but 
you're not going to be 2D in the metaverse. So why would we create something 2D? Let's kind of start at at that top level and create something that's, you know, 3D that has some life to it, that animates, and it has kind of, you know, interesting that like like music behind it as well. <clears throat> no one, no one had really done. I mean, people were doing music in the space, but it was kind of a standalone, you know, here's a music NFT yeah, right. or here's a character NFT or here's an art NFT. So what we were trying to do was merge as much of that as possible into one and give people these characters that they felt like they could kind of relate to or, um, but also, you know, build this incredible community around it of creators. Uh, if you've got this music element, you can bring in these great musicians to come and support you. You allow people to have the creative rights to their characters so they can go and do whatever they want with them. You know, we're not there waiting to clip the ticket on, Hey, you made an ad with one of our, our characters. Therefore we get 10%. Well, actually no, it's a, the decentralization of digital content like this is a net gain for everyone because if people are out there pushing your content across everything, that's just going to increase the value of, of your content. Um, obviously there's some, you know, stuff that needs to kind of have some rules in place around if it goes to, you know, um, neo-nazi or anything like that (laughs) but uh it was what we saw was actually by giving people the rights to to their characters we're actually able to build an incredibly engaged community of people who were just inherently invested in the project and wanted to see it succeed so we created this project um fluff world which is these the the 3d rabbit characters that are animated um we're kind of focused on okay look we're building this collection as a metaverse ready platform that you know we scale the quality of them to to meet whatever platform it may be um you know we went in with a very very high quality you know fairy character um we've learned the hard way that fur there's a reason not many people work with fur in the industry and (laughs) why why monsters inc at the time was so incredible because rendering fur is a nightmare um (laughs) but it's been an incredible experience for us to to grow this community and kind of build out all this content where I think we've got five different formats from like voxel versions up to like cinema quality versions that we're delivering to, to our community. Um, we're building, you know, a range of like artist collaborations on new music and like scenes like this one, which was a, a event that we did at uh, Miami art basil, uh, the background here. It's a, actually a full animated scene but allowing people to have these levels of customization to their characters as well was, was really incredible. Um, and to have this kind of crossover as well of like physical and digital, you know, we threw this event in Miami, um, but had like digital activations through it as well. Um, it's, it's been great to see how people really kind of vibe with the content. And I think a big thing for us, I mean, it's, it's always been the community is the biggest thing at the end of the day, because without community, you don't have That's right. anything. Um, I think it's been really interesting in this space as well, because unlike a traditional business, your community is there in the discord that's right 24 7 messaging you like hey when it's, is this happening it's and amazing it's, like, it's just and, yeah. and also the 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 degree of separation it's not six degrees yeah. of separation it's like yeah, yeah. if i want to i i mean me as a podcast host I, i'm i'm talking back and forth with founders like michael saylor and and people mm-hmm. who are okay uh vitalik hasn't written me back i'll admit it but but i'm saying <laughs> but he will but he, yeah, will. he will he will but anyhow it's great uh Alex, let, hey, Travis, let's throw up some social on Alex. All right. Tell everybody how they can reach you and who, who do you want from the show to, to reach out and how, and how can they help on any of your causes? Honestly, anyone and everyone. Um, look, if you want to join our community, where the, the great thing is, is we're, we're constantly building our community with Fluff World because we don't, it's, there's a bit of a, a kind of oxymoron in terms of like an inclusive, exclusive community. Like it's right. a 10K collection. There's only so inclusive that that can be. But at the end of the day, this is a world we're building and you can't have a world with just one character. So, you know, much like <laughs> a lot of them, the, the existing metaverse platforms, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with the model with uh, some of these existing metaverse platforms where it's basically a kind of walled off game environment with a finite supply of land and people come in, 
buy it all up as investments and then 95% of the time and in 95% of the spaces, there's just nothing happening. So what we're doing is, and also when it comes to an NFT collection as well, you know, if you have a lot of these, it's um, you have to sell. If you ever want to kind of profit from it or gain, like, yes, there's some stuff that gets drip fed in, but normally you have to sell your character to your NFT to actually kind of really profit or gain from it. Um, and then you're out. So how do you kind of reward people that stay in your community? And this is what we've been doing around, you know, bonus airdrops of content. Uh, we're constantly, you know, picking a random trait and say, oh, okay, the, the fluffs that have this attribute, whether it's this hat or these glasses or something, we're going to drop some surprise to them. And a lot of the time, you know, that surprise could be worth, you know, 0.3, 0 0.4 ether, which is not an insignificant amount it's of money. It's a thousand bucks. 1500 exactly right yeah i've had i've had people say hey like thank you so much for this airdrop i i was sold it and was able to pay a friend's medical bill and i'm like yeah that is just well, crazy to I, me I, I, we're, I, we're running out of time but i want to end with this it's like mm -hmm. it, it being being a recruiter and this this woke my eyes up to this every time uh i would try to negotiate a salary whether i was auditors or casino or construction it's like uh, you know, you'd lose a deal because the candidate wanted one twenty-five, and the most that that Disney could pay was one twenty-two and a half. It's like, well, we don't have it in the budget. It's like you you made yeah. six billion dollars in profit. You got it in the budget, but but the yeah. thing is, you know, and I'm talking about my generation, maybe more than than yours, is everybody's afraid. Like you need your retirement, you need your investment, you need your house, you need your safety, right? Save for a rainy day. Because mm -hmm. of, the, of the, the power of lack, embracing lack, right? And so, so forget NFTs, forget any of the projects you're talking about. You get this thing called cryptocurrency, in my case, Bitcoin. And you get this thing, and it's the next thing you know is it's three, then it's 10, then it's 100, then it's 1,000, or whatever it is, right? And so the consciousness, the thing that makes this space so great, it's the exact opposite of lack. It's abundance, Right. Exactly. Because, and so the thing about crypto, there's enough for everybody. Right. And that's why, like David and I, crypto has changed our life in a positive way where we now are not enslaved to a bad client or a bad candidate where we can just say, no, the deal has to be right. It has to feel good, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Because now we can give these things that are going to grow the way I see crypto that there, there's going to mm -hmm. be three. There's going to be three generations of wealth that are actually going to be positively impacted by the choices that I made. And I'm going to tell you, up to five years ago, I'm 52 and I'm you know, starting a new business, this guy. <laughs> and, it, you know, we, we are placing superintendents in construction sites. And it's just like, you know, eating what you kill. Okay, well, here's our fee and fiat, yay us. Yeah. So, so when you speak of that, I just, I want, I want the people who are listening realize that having, having a position and an attitude and a take. Don't stay on the sidelines ignorant, okay? At least get in, whether you take a position and buy crypto or, or NFTs, but don't not do it because you don't understand it, all right? Exactly. It just takes that first step, and it's, you know, otherwise you'll be the laggards who are complaining that, oh, Bitcoin's now 150 grand, right. and I just yeah, can't yeah, yeah, do it. something so, about it, right? Yeah, I'm going to say yeah. something to you, Alex. 150000 is nothing, for the price of Bitcoin. So you should actually expand your horizons a little bit higher. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, this is the thing. I mean, you look at like, obviously through uh, COVID, there's been massive quantitative easing across most countries. I think the US increased its money supply by about 40% in one year. That means everyone's money is worth significantly. Nah, less. you're not yes, seeing, you're not seeing it clearly. You're not seeing it clearly. We all have more. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, nah, you're, exactly. you're talking like those politicians. It's like <laughs> no, 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 no. The, the fact that I'm paying $6 a gallon for the petrol, that means nothing. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, the, the, the gas is like, more oh, precious. $10. Oh my, God, my, my house is suddenly worth 50% more. It's like, yes, or is your money worth 50%? You like, you know, you know, 40% less. See, it's you, the latter. You get it. Yeah. Right. The truth of the matter is, like forty years ago, like I bought this house for thirty nine thousand dollars. Now it's six million. Mm -hmm. Look at my great mm -hmm. house. It's like, no, you got an old house that's worth thirty nine thousand. The the fiat that you paid for it worth has been devalued by all this amount. Yeah. A Alex, 
Thank you so much. You're, you're definitely going to be back. We're going to have Brooke back, right? He's going to he's going to clean up some of the stuff that you uh, were sketchy about talking about the project. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. roller skating versus rollerblading. We're, 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 yeah. we're, as you know, this is the first time you and I have ever met, right? Because David, but also you know you're going to hear be hearing a lot from us. But we're gonna we're gonna work really really hard on your your behalf, and and uh, we're not going to be found wanting. Just just know that. All right. Of course, I appreciate that. I think it's uh, it's an incredible time, an incredible opportunity for these people to, as, especially in the creatives world. You know, it's creatives for so long have been it's a it's a kind of dead end. You know, industry unless you're really, really at that one percent. Whereas now, you know, creatives are the, some of the most high demand. That's right. Hiring three D models yeah. all the time. Yeah, so it's a, it's been a gr- a great kind of reversal of, you know, empowering kind of next generations to pursue stuff that they actually find fun. No, Building I, digital worlds is inherently fun. I, I want everybody that works at a bank, all the bankers, all the Fed policy people, I want them working in hotels, cleaning toilets and uh, carrying my bags. No, no, this is what's coming. And it's and it's about time. But anyhow, <laughs> Alex. That's, well, that's, that's true service, isn't it? <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. yeah, servant leadership. <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, Alex, <laughs> thank you so much for being on Bit About Crypto. Tra- Travis, yes. Plug what? it. Plug plug the Sticky Paw Studios. Sticky Paw Studios oh, here in Las Vegas. Thank you. Yeah, that's really really good. I can't do it without Dave Hampton, my my you prodigy, hear? now my mentor. Thank you, partner, and you're the Robo Recruiter. Eternally I'm David grateful. James, the Job Whisperer. And remember, everybody, can't whisper. Ah!